your Bibles, and, and I know that we're past Christmas now. I know that, um, that that's sort of in the rearview mirror. But um, uh, at the beginning, what God just began to, God began to give me so many wonderful things here. And uh, this will probably be the last in this installment in this series that we have been teaching here at the church. But I want to talk to you once again on lessons from the nativity. And as you can see on the screen, specifically tonight, I want to talk to you about this subject, safeguarding the Savior, safeguarding the Savior. And so Matthew chapter 2 in your Bibles, when you find your place, if you'll find verse number 10, and we're going to start in verse 10, and we are going to read a little bit more scripture than we normally would, but I'll read this quickly, and you just follow along with me, and I'll, I will read through it, and we won't keep you long at all tonight. Matthew chapter number 2, and look at verse number 10. The Bible says, when they, the wise men, you know that, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Uh, anytime you meet Jesus, you depart another way. Y'all know that. You, you always go back different than when you came. Um, but I'm not preaching on that tonight. Look at verse number, maybe I should. Verse number 13, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, Joseph, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. In other words, there was a great time of sadness there in Bethlehem and the surrounding coast uh, because Herod would do something so unthinkable, just all the children now have been massacred. Verse number 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he, Joseph, and he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. You may be seated tonight, and I want to talk to you about this subject uh, th this evening, safeguarding the Savior, safeguarding the Savior. And I want to show you something that I don't know that I'd ever really noticed in, in, in this light and I hope it'll be a help to you. I hope it'll be a blessing and a challenge, maybe more so a challenge this evening. But let's talk about it, safeguarding the Savior. Let's go to the Lord and ask God to help us tonight. Father, what a great service. 
I'm glad I'm in my place. I, Lord, I've, I've been encouraged. Lord, we, we talked about that Sunday that one of the purposes of the church, the mission of the church is for edification. Well, Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm going to go away edified tonight. I, I've been encouraged just listening to the music and the singing and hearing people pray and the fellowship. Lord, I've already been encouraged. I mean, Lord, if we had the closing prayer right now and went home, it would have been well worth my time and my effort to be here. But Lord, now as we take just a few moments and gather around the word, I pray that you'd help what you have given me in the secrecy of the study. God, I pray that it would make great sense to the congregation. So Lord, knit our hearts together, and I pray that Jesus would receive praise and honor and glory from all that's done tonight. Please help us, Father. We sure need you tonight. We need you in a big way, in a bad way. And Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. Notice, if you will, verse number 14. That's our text. The Bible says in verse 14, when he, Joseph, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. One of the questions that was asked during the Q&A just about a week ago was this question, why were Mary and Joseph chosen? What was it about Joseph and Mary that, that, that singled them out and made God choose them? Now, there were many other men, young men and maidens. I'm sure that there were many other betrothed couples during that day and time, but for some reason, God specifically in his providence and his sovereignty reached down and chose a little maiden by the name of Mary and a young man by the name of Joseph. That was asked uh, about a week ago at Q&A. We, we tried to answer that question best we could. We said probably it was their submission. Uh, Joseph and Mary were very submitted to the will of the Lord. I believe that had to uh, that had to probably play a part. We talked about their yieldedness. We talked about their purity. I believe that Joseph and, and Mary's purity was without question. Um, and I believe that probably played a part. But as I was studying this out again, just reading over the Christmas story, God showed me something that I had never really noticed. And I, believe, I really believe that this might be one of the main reasons that God chose Joseph and Mary to be the parents of the Christ child. God knew that this little couple would do anything necessary to protect the Lord Jesus. Now, this is the thought that I want to give you tonight, and we're going to sort of build on it a little this evening. This is the thought that God gave me while I was reading. Joseph and Mary were willing to do whatever was necessary to keep Jesus in their life. Now, think with me tonight. We know, we, we know this. We, we know that Joseph and Mary knew that, boy, they had been, had been entrusted with a very, very special gift. Uh, they had been chosen to be the parents. And, of course, Joseph was the step-parent, but they had been chosen with this wonderful gift of the Christ child, and he was placed into their care. They became the guardians, if you will, of, of, of literally of the incarnation of the, of the Christ child. And they also knew this, that regardless of the circumstances, whatever the circumstances were, they knew that they had to protect 
Jesus at all cost. And boy, that's one of the things we see in this passage as we'll find out tonight. They were gonna do everything in their power to make sure that Jesus stayed in their life and under their care. Well, you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with me? Well, to be quite honest with you, in every Christian's life, I can guarantee you one thing, the enemy is gonna make a great attempt to remove Jesus out of your life. Now, when I say remove him out of your life, I'm not talking about you losing your salvation, but I am saying this, that, that, that the enemy's gonna try to do everything he can to try to get the Lord out of the center of your life. He's gonna try to do everything he can to make sure that you're not in the will of God, that you're not experiencing the peace of God, that you're not serving the Lord. In fact, listen to John chapter 10, verse number 10. The Bible says about the enemy, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So we know, the Bible's very clear about that, that that's exactly what the devil's gonna do, that he is gonna do everything in his power to try to get you away from the Lord and try to get the Lord away from you. I thought about Luke 8, Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. The Bible says a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And verse number six says, and some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. But verse seven says it like this, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Now again, that's all I'm saying. Uh, and, and I wanna just get this down, you know, put the jelly on the bottom shelf where you can understand this. If you think for a half a second that, that the devil is excited about the calendar year of 2023, but we've got another thing coming. He is not excited about this church. He's not excited about our mission. He's not excited about us preaching in the nursing homes and on the airwaves and the radio and the live stream. He's not excited about us going into the public school ministry. He's not excited about us getting involved in track distribution and, and printing Bibles and sending Bibles out and supporting missionaries. He is not excited about that. He is not excited about you being in the will of God. And he's not excited about your love for the Lord and your joy in the Lord. And I can promise you this, that in 2023, Satan is going to do everything in his power to pull Jesus out of your life and out of your family and out of your home. Now, that's exactly what we see here in this story. And again, I want to just show you a few things that I never really, I'd read it just like you, I'd read it, but I never really noticed it in this light. But as we read Matthew chapter two, we find that there were a number of things that threatened to take Jesus out of the life of Joseph and Mary. I'm gonna show those to you tonight, if I could, and, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be on our way tonight. How about this? First of all, we noticed there were places that threatened to take Jesus away. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, look at Matthew 2, look at verse 13. The Bible says, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, arise and take the young child and his mother, look at this, and flee into what? And flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And the Bible says in verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. 
and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, what's your point, preacher? My point is this, that had the parents of Jesus remained in Bethlehem, it would have been very detrimental to, uh, to the keeping of Jesus in their life. That's what I'm saying. The place, the place of Bethlehem became very dangerous for the Christ child. Now, we know that God in his sovereignty, we, know, we understand that God in his sovereignty is gonna win. We understand that, but I'm just saying this, that Bethlehem became a dangerous place. And so because of that, the Bible says that God sent word to Joseph and said, Joseph, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to get out of Bethlehem. And sure enough, Bethlehem became a very dangerous place place to be. Look at Matthew 2, verse 16. The Bible says, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth, and look what he did, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. And so, boy, uh, this mad man, this maniac, Herod, uh, because he's, he's so consumed with somebody taking his place as the king of the Jews, the Bible says that he, that he uh, kills all the children and executes all the children in Bethlehem. Now, here's the thing. Joseph knew that Bethlehem was a dangerous place to be. And so because of that, he is willing to change his place. If it meant keeping Jesus in their life, he was willing to change their place. Now, big deal, very big deal. Because the changing of the place was a great inconvenience. You understand tonight that that trip from little Bethlehem to Egypt was probably more than 400 miles. Some scholars say probably upwards of 429, maybe more. And those 429 miles were probably traveled by way of foot, uh, maybe by way of mule or, or a horse or something like that. But, but be that as it may, well, how'd you like to travel all that way uh, with, uh, you know, with horseback, on horseback? Uh, very difficult terrain. I'm talking about very mountainous, a lot of valleys, uh, very dangerous travel, a lot of robbers, a lot of thieves. Uh, and, uh, and here's my point, though, that even though Joseph recognized that, that there was a great threat, we noticed that Joseph was willing to change his place. Now, again, what does that have to do with me, preacher? Listen, whatever you do, don't let a place deprive you of the blessings of the Lord. A place. Don't let a place make you lose the favor of God and the blessing of God on your marriage, on your family, on your home. Well, you say, preacher, that can never happen. Yes, it could. You see, sometimes a place makes all the difference in the world. Well, you say, pastor, I don't, I, don't, I don't live in Bethlehem, never have lived in Bethlehem, and so that place could never pose any threat to me, no, but I'll tell you something else. I have watched as some have sacrificed the will of God for a job place, a job place. Not Bethlehem, but a job place. I remember many, many years ago as uh, there was a, a new family that had started coming to our church, and by the way, I, I, I love them to death. To this day, I love them to death, and uh, and, uh, but, but they started coming and I'm telling you, God, church, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. God began to change their life. I, just, I can't even explain it. 
And God began to do something supernatural in their marriage and their family. And they started coming faithfully and, and started getting excited for the Lord. And the, the uh, gentleman came to me and he said, preacher, he said, man, I'm just so excited. And, and he wanted to uh, help out in the ministry. So he started teaching a Sunday school class. And then a bit later on, he came and he said, preacher, he said, I really feel like God's calling me to preach. And, uh, and I mean, God was just doing something and God was using both of them. And, and I remember, I, I can remember at one point, I remember going to a conference and they went to a conference with me and, and on our way to that conference, I remember them saying, preacher, we need to talk to you about something. And I said, well, absolutely. And the uh, little wife spoke up and she said, pastor, she said, I've got, a, I've got a, an opportunity to get a promotion where I work. And she said, I'm going to be making, and she told me, she said, I'm going to be making killer money. And she was. It, it was I mean, it's amazing. And she said, I've got an opportunity to make amazing money. And so they, you know, told me all the details and all that kind of thing. And they wanted, my, they wanted me to put my blessing on it as their pastor. And then she said this, there's only one thing. It seems like there's always one thing. She said, preacher, there's only one thing. She said, it's going to pull me out of church a lot. And, I, and I, I love them to this day, and I loved them then. But I, and I, I told them, I said, listen, if you choose to take that job, I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to be your, your enemy. But I said, I, there's no way. I just, I can't put my blessing on it. Well, long story short, she got the job promotion. She took the job. She started making killer money. I'm in killer money, making a lot of money. You say, wow, that's great. It really is great. Only problem was it did exactly what she said it was going to do. It pulled her out of church. And uh, you know what? Wasn't long. She wasn't coming. And because she wasn't coming, she didn't want him to come. And so he resigned his Sunday school class and left his bus route and wasn't preaching anymore. And little by little by little, you know what? They, they started missing on Sunday, you know, Sunday night. When they could come, they started missing on Sunday night. And then after a little while, we didn't see him at all. And, and at church, I'm just telling you that it wasn't long before that family, I'm telling you, that family literally disintegrated. I mean, they disintegrated it. It was like somebody took a, a stick of TNT and stuck it in their home and the marriage went crazy and the, and the, the home blew apart. I mean, it just blew into smithereens and, uh, and uh, separated and divorced and just haywire. Now, you say, preacher, why are you telling me that story? I'm t- this is why I'm telling you that story. You know what done that? A place done it. A place done it. You say, well, preacher, she was making amazing money. Who cares if it makes you lose Jesus? Who cares about the money? I'm telling you, man, there is no amount of money that's worth you losing the will of God and losing your marriage and sacrificing your kids and your happiness and your home and your purity. Uh, And yet we see this place made all the difference in the world. I've watched some as they've sacrificed the will of God for a fun place. A fun place. I'm talking about pleasures and hobbies. You know, I've talked to people, say, well, preacher, I would come, but I can't come because Sunday's my golf day. Now, I like golf as much as anybody else, but I'm telling you, not on Sunday. Right. Why, pastor, I, you know, I can't come on Sunday because that's my fishing day. That's when I go bass fishing. <laughs> Church, I'm just telling you something. There ain't a, there ain't a bass in Lake Norman worth you losing Jesus over. 
Uh, well, preacher, I'd come, you know, but, but Sunday's my sleeping day. Sleep every other day, but don't sleep on Sunday. Uh, well, preacher, I'd come, but Sunday's my shopping day. And I've seen people sacrifice the will of God for a fun place. And then I thought about this. I've, I've watched this. Some have sacrificed the will of God for a popular place. A popular place. What do you mean, preacher? I'm talking about a, a, a place that they, that they used to frequent before they got saved. And then after they got saved, they didn't want to give that place up. Maybe it was a hangout where they used to hang out with their friends. Maybe it was a tavern. Maybe it was a, you know, maybe it was a bar or something like that. And, and this person comes to Christ and they legitimately get saved. And, and yet they say, preacher, you know, I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but I don't want to give up my friends. And I don't want to give up this place. And, and they keep going to this place. And before you know it, this place this place pulls them away uh, from the will of God. You know, I thought about the story, and I hadn't told this story in a long, long time, but I thought about the story about the guy that was saved uh, out of a life of alcoholism, just terrible alcoholism, and, and, he, and, he, and the guy really got saved. I mean, he really got saved. He, he was convicted of his sin, and he repented and came to Jesus and was a good church. It was a sound church, and he got born again, and, and, uh, and uh, he really got saved, and yet, he would come to church, and he loved this church where he got saved. He just loved this church, but he would come to church, and he would enjoy the services, and then after the service, on his way home, he would, he would get tempted, and he would fall off the wagon, and he'd get, he'd get on a drunk again, and he knew he'd been saved, and that happened several times in a row, and he just thought, man, just this, something ain't right, so one day, he came to the pastor of the church, and he said, preacher, can I talk to you? And so the preacher said, absolutely. So they, he took him in the study, and, and he told the preacher that story. He said, Pastor, I know I've been saved. He said, I know I gave my heart to Christ. He said, I know that the Lord has saved me, and he's changed me. And he said, I love church, and I love your preaching, and I love the music. And he said, I just love it. But he said, sometimes, he said, after service, he said, man, I just, I, I, I get tempted. And he said, man, I, I don't know what comes over me, but he, he said, I get tempted. And before I know it, he said, I'm drinking again. And they talked about it for a little while, and finally the preacher said, Brother, and this was back in the day before cars, people rode their mules and their horses to church. And he said, Well, let me ask you something. He said, Where are you, where are you hitching your mule at? He said, Well, you know, preacher, he said, You walk out of the church, and he said, You, you walk down the street about a block or two, and then you make a right. And he said, There's a hitching post down there. And he says, that, That's where I hitch my mule. And then I, I, I walk into the church. And, and the preacher said, Wait a minute. He said, you mean you go out of the church, you turn left, you go down to that first right, and they hit, he said, yeah. He said, isn't there a tavern right down there by that hitching post? Isn't there a saloon right down there? And that man said, yes, sir, there is. He said, brother, I know what your problem is. He said, it's time you change your hitching post. It's time to change your hitching post. Hey, if you don't want to get drunk and you don't want to be with that crowd, you need to hit your mule somewhere. Oh, yes, good neighbor. Amen, I feel some preach coming on tonight. I'm telling you, let me tell you what is wrong in a lot of Christians' life. They sacrifice the will of God and the peace of God and the joy of God and the blessings of God all because of a place. Man, don't let a place pull you away from the will of God. Man, I never, I never saw that before like that. And so there were places that threatened to take Jesus away. But I'll, I'll show you something else. Number two, there were personalities that threatened to take Jesus away. Personalities. What do you mean, preacher? Well, Herod the Great posed a great threat. 
Look back at your Bibles, Matthew chapter two, verse number 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word for Herod. We'll seek the young child to destroy him. And we read just a moment ago in verse number 16, that's exactly what he sought out to do. He killed all the young men that were two years and under in all of Bethlehem and all of their coasts. Herod the Great posed a great threat to the Lord Jesus. Not only Herod the Great, but somebody mentioned by the name of Archelaus. Did y'all see that? Look at verse 22, verse 22. The Bible says, but when he heard, Joseph, but when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in the dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Boy, Archelaus, I don't know if, I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, but that's the way I'm pronouncing it tonight. And uh, I studied this guy out. Now, Herod was a maniac. But did you know they tell us that Archelaus was probably worse than his dad? In fact, did you know that they said that he was, he was believed to be one of the worst leaders that ever ruled in Israel? They said this in history books. They said that thousands, literally thousands, were crucified under the reign of Archelaus. So there were some personalities that were a threat to keeping Jesus in their life. Did you know if you're a Christian, you're gonna have personalities that attempt to take Jesus out of your life? By the way, sometimes those personalities, you know who they are? Sometimes they're friends. Sometimes they're friends. They're not so, you know, they're not so fired up about you being fired up for Jesus. And all of a sudden, boy, you change. I mean, you change the way you talk and you change the places you go and you change uh, the, the habits that you've been doing all this time. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, it, is something, it is something that people don't mind you being a Christian as long as you don't take it too seriously. If you want to be a Christian, that's okay. But I mean, how about this Sunday night stuff? What's that about? Don't you think you're taking that a little too far, you know? I mean, don't you think you're getting a little fanatical when you're putting the 10th of your income in the offer? I mean, don't you think you're getting a little fanatical? A little fanatical? When people are losing their heads and their eyes are getting gouged out and Christians' homes are being burned and they're being burned at the stake and yet because we're coming back on Sunday night, we're fanatical? Are you kidding me? We're not fanatical, we're backslid, that's why we are. And yet we have friends who will try to pull us away from the will of God. Sometimes those personalities come in the form of friends, sometimes those personalities comes in the form of family. Now you love your family and you pray for, and I mean that church, you love your family and pray for your family and just love them to Jesus and show them the love of Christ. But I wanna tell you something, don't let your family pull you away from Jesus. You say, well, preacher, you know, uh, blood's thicker than water. Yeah, but I want to tell you something. Your family didn't die for you. And your family won't, I don't care. Listen, you've probably got a great grandma and you've probably got the greatest daddy and mama that's ever walked on the face of the earth. But I'm just telling us tonight that your daddy and mama, no matter how good they are, they're not going to take you to heaven. 
It wasn't dad and mom. I've got a great Christian mom and dad. They might be watching tonight, but I'm just telling you, mom and dad didn't die for me. They didn't pay my sins for me. Uh, I'm not going to be in heaven because of mom and dad. I'm going to be in heaven because of Jesus. And so if, if the whole world serves the Lord, good. But if the whole world turns their back on God, I ought to serve the Lord. And by the way, can I just tell you this? One of the reasons that this world opposes your zeal for Christ is because it brings conviction into their life. Amen. You know why sometimes your family members and your friends balk on you coming back to church on Sunday night? You know why they balk on that? Because it convicts them. You know why? Because they could too if they wanted to. You know why they get upset because you read your Bible so much and you spend time in prayer or you come to a conference every night or you go to church for two solid weeks during the unplanned revival and, and boy, your family looks on and your friends look on and think, wow, what is that down there? Is that a cult? No, it's not a cult. It's called a local church. And, and uh, hey, it's exactly what Scripture uh, in, encourages us to do. And so we find here that there are some personalities that attempted to take Jesus out of their life. But church, look at this because this is beautiful what I'm getting ready to give you. And I never saw it like this. But how many know that often the scriptures give us a contrast? I mean, in fact, that happens a lot. And so we read here in Matthew chapter two, here are some personalities that are dead set against Jesus and dead set against Joseph and Mary having Jesus. And yet in the same story, we find some other folks who, man, they are excited as they can be because Jesus is in the life of Joseph and Mary. Hey, can I show you that? Would you take your Bible and turn over to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and look at verse number, uh, verse number two. Yes, there were some who were opposed. There were some who tried to pull Jesus away, but there were others who, man, they were excited about what was going on in Joseph and Mary's life. Luke chapter two, verse 15, we find a group called shepherds. And the Bible says in verse 15, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came, look at verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. In other words, man, they were excited because Jesus was in the life of Joseph and Mary. Not only that, but look at this, not only the shepherds, but Simeon. Look at Luke chapter two, verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up uh, in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. In other words, those shepherds were excited about Jesus and Simeon was excited about Jesus being in the life of Joseph and Mary, but not only Simeon, but how about Anna? Look at Luke chapter two, verse 36. 
And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, look what she did. She gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Man, you know what she was saying? Oh, I'm so excited for y'all. Man, we've been waiting for this day. We've been waiting for this, for this event. Man, Joseph, Mary, I'm excited, man. I'm so excited for y'all. Hey, church, hey, young people, listen to your preacher tonight. On this first Wednesday night of the new year, did you know there are gonna be some personalities in your life that are not excited about your fire for the Lord? They're not gonna be excited about you coming to youth conference or youth activities They're not gonna be excited about you uh, following your youth pastor and they're not gonna be excited about you coming on Wednesday night. They're not gonna be excited about you singing in the choir. They're not gonna be excited about your standards and your separation. Hey, adults, did you know there are gonna be personalities in your life that are not excited at all about your stand for Jesus Christ but at the same exact time, did you know there's gonna be somebody out there that's tickled to death because you are serving the Lord? And so whatever you do, don't focus on the name-saying crowd. Don't focus on those that are trying to tear you down and tear Jesus away. And you say, well, preacher, I've got this, you know, some of my friends and I got saved and I'm trying to give my life to the Lord and turn my life over to the Lord. And boy, some of my friends, they're just, they're turning their back on me. Listen, I hate that. But you know what? Every tub's got to sit on its own bottom and you just let them do what they got to do. But I'm telling you, you just keep on serving Jesus. And you'll be glad you did. Man, praise God. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Wow. And so we noticed there were some places that were a threat. There were some personalities that were a threat. Let's bring this thing to a close. But let me show you something interesting. Not only were there some places and some personalities, but number three, there were some principalities that threatened to take Jesus away. Now, all you counting down to courage, folks, you recognize that word, don't you? Principalities. I want you to take your Bibles, turn over to Revelation chapter number 12, and look at verse number one tonight. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number one. Wow, what an interesting story here. There was a spiritual battle going on here. All these things that are going on with Herod and Herod killing all these children. In the background, dear friend, in the background, Satan was at work. Revelation 12, verse 1, the Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. That woman in Revelation chapter 12 is a symbol of Israel. And that crown upon her head, that crown of 12 stars, speaks of the 12 tribes of Israel. And our Bible says that she being with child, you know what that speaks of? It speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming through Israel. 
And what we see in Revelation chapter 12 is that the powers of darkness did everything in their power to try to keep this from happening. Well, aren't you glad though that greater, man, aren't you glad that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? And thank God, God was victorious. Hey, church, we're done. And I said all that to say this, when things come along, that try to take Jesus away from you or you away from Jesus, it's important that you understand something. It's a supernatural battle that's going on. Somewhere in the shadows, there are some demonic angels. There's a devil that's doing his best to try to take Jesus out of your life. And church, I, I, just, I just came here tonight to, to say this, that in 2023, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to be serious about keeping Jesus in our life. Why did God choose Joseph and Mary? I'm not exactly sure of all the reasons, but maybe, just maybe, it's because he knew that this young couple was not going to let anything happen to the Son of God. If it meant leaving Bethlehem and going to Egypt, we'll do it. If it means going from Egypt back to Israel, we'll do it. If it means leaving Israel and going back, to, we'll do it. We'll, whatever it takes, we'll do it. If it means traveling by night, if it means traveling over 400 miles, whatever we've got to do, we'll do what we've got to do to make sure that we keep Jesus in our life. How about you? In 2023, are you determined? Are you determined to do everything you can do to keep Jesus in your life? I'm not talking about you losing your salvation. I'm talking about being in the will of God. I'm talking about being in the center of God's will. I'm talking about experiencing his joy and his, and his, his fulfillment and, and, uh, and, and living in the will of God in 2023. You say, preacher, why are you preaching this? Because I'm telling you, there are going to be some things this year that are going to do their best to try to pull you away. And you've got to determine, man, you're not getting Jesus out of my life. How many have ever heard this statement? That place is secure, is as secure as Fort Knox. Listen to this. About half of the U.S. gold reserves is kept at Fort Knox in Fort Knox, Kentucky, and it has been labeled as the most secure vault on the planet. You can't get too close to this, uh, what they call the United States Bullion Depository because it's surrounded by a steel fence but that's just the beginning. The building is made up of over 16,000 cubic feet of granite, 4,200 cubic yards of concrete, 750 tons of reinforced steel, and 670 tons of structural steel. The front door to the vault weighs over 20 tons. And it is said that, not one, that, that no one person knows the combination. The ultimate safe is protected by 27 inches of thick concrete and steel and is known to be able to withstand an atomic bomb. The U.S. Treasury report reports that Fort Knox is equipped with the latest and most modern pr protective devices. Rumor has it the vault grounds are surrounded by landmines and electric fences. Machine guns go off when a laser is triggered and a radar keeps watch over the area. There's one guard box at each of the building's four corners plus sentry boxes by the entrance, and it is said that even the President of the United States has limitations when it comes to entering the vault. 
In fact, I read that the only president that has actually ever been inside the vault is Theodore Roosevelt. Now, what's your point, preacher? Listen, all of this in an attempt to protect gold. How much more should we be serious about protecting God? If you're here tonight or you're watching by way of live stream and you recently got saved in the revival or God's doing something supernatural in your life or your home or your family or your ki- in the lives of your kids, let me tell you what we ought to do. Man, we ought to walk guard around the will of God. And if we see we see the slightest little thing that's trying to get in there to get us away from the Lord or get us out of the will of God, I'm telling you, man, we ought to shut it down right there and then and keep Jesus where he needs to be, right smack dab in the center of our life. Amen? Man, I never noticed that about that story. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we love you and thank you so much for showing us, Lord, some truths from Matthew chapter two tonight. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this couple that was vowed and determined, whatever it took, they were vowed and determined to make sure that Jesus was kept safe, to make sure that nothing happened to the Christ child. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for that kind of dedication. Lord, I pray tonight that you would give us that that type of dedication. Father, I just know, I'm not a prophet, I'm just a pastor of a a local church, but I I just know after 31 years of pastoring, Lord, the devil, the enemy, he's he's gonna do something, he's gonna provide something, a place, a personality, a principality to try to get us away from the will of God. Oh Lord, help us not to stumble. Father, help us not to stumble. Help us not to fall. Lord, help us not to to jeopardize our testimony for anything in the world. And God, if you'll help us, please help us to stay right smack dab in the center of the will of God until Jesus comes again. Father, would you do this, please? Would you please protect this church? Lord, please protect us. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment. Is there anybody here tonight who says, Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would make it to heaven. I don't know that I'm saved, Pastor. I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that tonight? And I can just, I can pray for you tonight. Anybody like that? Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure of heaven. Can you pray for me, Preacher? Anybody? Can I pray for you tonight? Just slip your hand up. Wave it at me tonight. All right. As far as I know, I don't see any, any, I see some little hands. I see some little hands. And I'm going to pray for those, those little hands that went up and that God would give them understanding. I'm glad they raised their hand. Hey, child of God, how determined are you in 2023 to make sure that the enemy doesn't pull you out of the will of God? Hey, if if there's something that the Holy Spirit has dealt with tonight, I'm just going to ask you, either right there in your seat or down here at this altar tonight, I'm going to ask you to do business with the Lord. 
Hey, young person, please don't let anything pull you away from Jesus. Hey, teenager, please don't let anything pull you away from Christ. Hey, young adult, please don't let anything pull you away from the Lord. Would you stand with us all over the house tonight? Father, thank you for your blessings. Lord, thank you for the great music we've enjoyed tonight. Thank you for the wonderful fellowship. And Father, we thank you for giving us a truth tonight. And now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our life. Lord, tonight, I pray you'd do that. Working hearts, Lord, get us off to a good start in 2023. And Lord, I pray that we'd not only start the year well, but God, I pray we'd finish it well. Lord, have your way tonight, please. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Hey, if you need to come, we're gonna pause just for a moment. And if you need to to use an altar this evening, in fact, I'm gonna make my way to the main floor just for a moment, okay? And if I can pray with you about something, we're here. And then we're gonna let you go tonight.